Hello, welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I recognize that in our last podcast, I didn't actually uh, introduce my uh, brothers and slash co-hosts. Um, it's not just because I was being selfish. It's also because I was uh, offended that nobody commented on our recent change in you know, introduction music. So I was distracted by that. But I am joined by Cameron Christensen and Matt Christensen. Um, so thank you. And today we're going to be discussing car uh, maintenance, which is a big departure from our more academic subjects in the past for the last little while. Uh, this is uh, this is actually listener requested. Um, and I happen to know the listener that requested it, and he happens to be in charge of my paycheck. So, turns um, <laughs> out, those people have higher priority in my list um, of, you know, potential podcast topics. So, car maintenance moved right to the top. And while we don't have a lot of knowledge on this subject, um, we have some knowledge. Cameron, I think you took a class in, like, high school, didn't you? Yes. Right. And I have changed a tire before, and yeah, anyway, and Matt owns a car or two, so, you know, lots of, lots of real-world experience here. We're going to talk first, though, about oil changes, because that's something that everyone knows they need to do to their car or with their car or extract from their car somehow, and we're going to talk a little bit first about how frequently you need to have an oil change. So Cameron or Matt, what is the the layman's um, the, the layman's experience with oil changes? Well, doing it yourself or going somewhere? Well, both. Well, doing it yourself is a little bit harder. Um, still not very hard. Uh, some of the new cars, but harder to do. Um, but when I was doing most of this stuff myself. Um, I would just pull my car up on a set of ramps where you can pull it up on a curb, depending how small you are. Um, and then you just need a wrench, um, a oil pan catch, a filter, and about four quarts of oil. And so. about like, what, like 20 minutes for a layman? Like, it's not a, it's not a long job, right? I would say give yourself like a half hour. Yeah. Just, you know. Now, here's the real question, though, and this is going to be a question throughout. The, it's going to be a theme of this podcast, let's say. Uh, so half an hour and all of those things that you just mentioned, which all cost money, or, you know, you have your your an oil change at the mechanics, which is these days, what, like $30? Um, keep going. Is it more than that? Well, I mean, you can pay as much. Okay, if you're getting full synthetic, and which we'll that'll we'll talk about synthetic versus regular oil in a minute. But if you're getting full synthetic, then sure, then you're paying like what, like eighty or ninety bucks for an oil change. I would uh, say you're just depends where you go. I would say between thirty to seventy dollars for a basic oil change. Right. Just depends and, where you but, go. Right. And now, and, and not a lot of that is for labor, right? Because for them, it's also an incredibly quick job. So a lot of that really does just go for the supplies, like the oil costs a certain amount. Um, so the question for the layman generally is, is this really worth my time to do it myself? Um, what's your opinion on that, Cameron or Matt? 
I would say, it, do you have the tools and how much time do you have? Because if you have the tools, I think it's way better to um, do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I would I would agree I think it's going to be up to the individual circumstances. There is definitely a learning curve. Um, when Cameron suggests allocate half an hour, I would suggest for your first time you allocate maybe two hours. Um, and, and you'll learn from there. And it is a kind of question of how valuable is my time versus how valuable is the convenience. You know, some people enjoy working on things for the fulfillment of working on them. And the, the value of time is not so much a question as the value of the fulfillment. Other people don't like to have to deal with petroleum spills on their driveway. And so the value for them comes in having someone else deal with that kind of mess. Right. And that's something that's like a theme uh, as we go we'll talk about. We're going to talk a lot about like mechanic versus do it yourself type projects. And that's like at least in my experience and especially with cars uh, and oil change, maybe not as much as some of the other things we'll get into. But like you get into a project and it, this is like your mode of transportation. If, if something goes wrong, you're kind of up a creek, almost literally without a paddle. Um, so. It is, you know, like there, you do have to weigh it against the amount of time that you have and your comfort level of doing these types of projects and whether or not if you blew something up in your car, you have some alternative method of transportation until you fixed it. Um, like I said, an oil change really isn't that bad. Like Cameron said, it's just like one tool, a filter, some new oil, and like uh, maybe, maybe worst case scenario, like Matt said, a couple hours. Uh, if something went catastrophically wrong, um, which I don't, I, maybe if you unscrewed the wrong part. <laughs> um, well, if you don't know where your parts are, that's what usually okay, takes sure, that's longer. True. So well, that's um, what YouTube is for. So. Yeah. So yeah. I am going to do what they generally will ask. Like if you're going to change your, um, I'm going to do another eight dollars there. So. I just went on to Walmart and just looked at prices. What would be five quarts of standard oil is three dollars. Um, wow. An per oil filter. Right? No, no, for five quarts is three dollars. Oh. oh, wow. That's incredible. Um, an oil filter is about five dollars, and an air filter is about eight dollars. So you can do an oil change yourself for sixteen dollars if you have the knowledge. And and right. after your initial investment in the, you know, some heavy steel ramps and tools and other things. So, yeah, if you have the socket wrench tools and your oil catch, which is an initial investment, I would say probably around $50. Um, you know, after that, you start making up the money. So, right. Right. Yeah. And I do think so. One thing, there is something to be said for just, uh, familiarity with your car and the parts of your car so that when things go wrong you can at least you know figure out if it's worth your time to try to fix it and and starting with an oil change and being familiar with where oil would drip out if you were leaking oil or something like that you know like um, those types of things are, are valuable so uh but yeah it is something to be considered as far as you know, initial startup costs as well like um getting ramps and uh, uh any tools that you might need, but okay. Well, yeah. let's 
let's not belabor the oil change. Well, another question that I think layman's, uh, laymen like myself have frequently uh, are how frequently do I need to change my oil? Like the conventional wisdom is like every 3,000 miles or something. But 5, as soon as you Google that. 5,000. Right, is that it? That's bogus. And then it's is it five thousand? Is it seven thousand? Um, what? How frequently do I need to change my oil, Cameron? Matt, do you guys know? Well, with a basic oil uh, that's not a synthetic, it's about five thousand miles. It actually really depends on the oil's brand. Each brand has a specific lifetime that goes through, um, but they've all generalized it to about five thousand for your basic a full synthetic you can go between seven to ten thousand dollars if i remember or not miles. dollars miles right seven to ten thousand miles yeah that's kind of what i yeah. figured found out too yeah go ahead Matt. if i may add a disclaimer um oil is one of the more critical fluids for your car if you do not have sufficient oil or sufficiently viscous oil it will it is one of the things that can kill your car dead and irreparably dead you can lose your engine for it. So, yes, you can go longer, uh, but one, learn it from a layman, and all of us, especially because Carl keeps giving you our names, are in no ways responsible for you destroying your car because you didn't change your oil <laughs> often enough. And two, yeah, find a mechanic or an oil change place that you trust and go with their recommendations, whether you use them at their frequency or whether you do it yourself at their frequency. I would, you know, Follow the appropriate professional's recommendation on this. Even if well, yeah. we are completely right on the podcast, and Cameron probably is, <laughs> I, w I would tend to err on the side of the professionals just because of the magnitude of consequence. It I would, matters. I would yeah, say go ahead. on the recommended thing from the manufacturer of your car, not necessarily by the mechanic, because they're trying to make a living. Um, go with the the recommendation from your car's manufacturer. Yeah, and those are usually in the manual, so you can usually look that up. Um, and to be fair, helping mechanics make a living is not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying there are point, people point that take. have been going into... Yeah, their incentive is to get you to spend more, not less. Um, yeah, so... And finding a mechanic that you trust can also be difficult, which is something I want to bring up later as well. However, I did, as I was looking, uh, doing some research for this, I did find that changing your oil too frequently can actually pr be problematic as well. Um, turns out that if you leave it for a, just a, a little bit longer, sometimes I can, that can that's better, apparently, somehow. Like I said, I'm not particularly knowledgeable on that subject. But um, not I'm not saying 10,000 miles is preferable to 5,000 miles, but 5,000 miles being more preferable than changing it every 3,000 miles. Um, and I, I, I don't understand necessarily the science behind it, but that's what I found when I was looking it up. So. Um, but yeah, uh, if you're doing regular oil, like Cameron said, yeah, 5,000 miles or so-ish. Um, and synthetic, so uh, regular versus synthetic oil is, is um, the idea, so we, Synthetic is obviously manufactured oil. It's got different um, molecules in it uh, that that don't break down um, as quick, or at least don't break down as quickly as oil, the conventional oil does. Um, and so that's why it can last a lot longer. That's also why it costs a lot more. So a synthetic oil is at least 
twice as much, I believe, per quart as a, a regular oil, a conventional oil will be. So, uh, but if it gets you twice as much many miles, then maybe it's worth it. Uh, but I, once again, I believe your your the engine, the, the manufacturer, your car manufacturer will have recommendations for um, doing a synthetic versus a conventional oil. So probably worth looking into that. Now, if you just have some old clunker, right? Some old beater car, you just need to get it around. Um, I've heard uh, that uh, my, my mechanic, my original mechanic, who I have abandoned since then, was telling me you, you can't ever change. You can never change between synthetic and, and crude. And I think that is the conventional wisdom. And then I did research on it. And from my understanding is that's not true. It, it's not true anymore, at least. You actually can switch. Um, and so there's nothing particularly wrong with switching if you just have some old beater car and you just need to keep it alive and you're like well can i just save some money by putting conventional oil in and the answer is yes uh it won't be like i said as high quality but my understanding is um that there's no particular reason to invest uh more money in a higher quality oil if you if this is a car that you you know just need to, for around town um simple uh, and and you just need to do it on a, a shoestring but budget. Um, Matter can yeah. give experience with um, it. My auto mechanic teacher said the same thing. Uh, you can switch between um, different oils. It's not wise to mix um, oils like if you add a synthetic to a non-synthetic. Oh, yeah. Sure, that could be what he was talking about. But yeah, maybe you're right. Well, I don't think changes, so. That's okay. <laughs> my my old mechanic. We'll talk about him a little later. Anyway, he had issues. Uh, he had issues. <laughs> um, but it is true. Um, just kind of a little bit. You can't switch between standard um, and synthetic uh, brake fluid. Once you switch to a synthetic brake fluid, oh right, you yes. can't use a standard brake fluid anymore because it will cause bubbles and all sorts of problems. Okay. So interesting. Okay. That is one thing you can't switch in between. So got it. It's... Okay, so we have established though that if you're getting an oil change, like Cameron said, maybe you don't dump synthetic oil in on top of conventional oil if you're just adding some oil to your car. If you're getting an oil change and you want to switch from a synthetic to regular or vice versa, there shouldn't necessarily be any issues with that. Uh, obviously, once again, if you're if you got a nice car or you if this is a car you're trying to maintain for a long time, look up the re man. The yes. Some. Some cars are are sure. requiring a full synthetic, like a Prius requires a full synthetic oil. Right. Um, right. And if you really guys want to know the difference, next time you go into your tire shop or um, something like that, most of the time they have like what the difference is on the counter, like with some gears with conventional oil and a synthetic oil, um, and you you can see the difference. It's pretty clear what happens. Right. Yeah. So I, I will be the voice of caution and paranoia again. You should always trust whatever you listen to by unprofessional, unskilled laymen on internet podcasts. But more than that, you really probably should find a mechanic you trust and in general, go with their recommendations. Again, if it's a mechanic you trust, find a mechanic you trust, find a mechanic you can trust. So 
Right. Well, that's, but part of getting the trust in mechanic is the ability to be able to check what they're saying against some standard of truth, I believe. Right. And so, indeed, learn it from a layman has always striven to be that standard of truth. Well, in this so much, we do try to Only what standard. it is worth and no more than it is worth. <laughs> Well, luckily, in this day and age where reviews are extremely prominent on places, it's a little bit harder to be a shady mechanic now because well, people we'll, will call we'll you out on that. I, say, so, I, I, found, I found an instance of one of those despite reviews. So, <laughs> um, Okay, uh, let's move on to gas octane now. So this is something, once again, you, you're presented with this option literally every time you pull up to a gas pump. And generally, you just go with the cheap stuff. At least that's me, right? You just, what's well, the cheap stuff? That's Can I what you were raised on. What? <laughs> so that's what you were raised on. Exactly. Well, can I go with the cheap stuff? And if I can, if it, if it makes my car go, uh, I will go with the cheap stuff. Now, um, so what is gas octane and how, why are there different varieties of gas octane? Um, Cameron or Matt, do you have any insight here before I talk about the little bit of research I did? A little bit. Um, the octane is the basically the the combustion, like how where it bursts into flame. Right. So a higher octane, you're going to have a higher combustion point, which is going to give you a higher horsepower and uh, make your engine burn hotter and and such versus a lower octane. Um, right. Your high high octanes, um, where people race and do stuff like that, they actually go get uh, jet fuel uh, from the airport and places like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, right. So yeah, the the like the one definition. It's pretty much that. I mean, that's a good definition Cameron just gave us. Uh, it says that what I looked up. It says a higher octane rating indicates greater resistance to knock, which is the early combustion of the fuel air mixture that causes cylinder pressure to spike. So essentially, yeah, if you've got a higher octane, it will not combust as, as early, um, it, which is good because you want the, the temperature to go higher for it to, to, to combust. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to burn hotter, which is, which is good for like that so, horsepower. And, like yeah. That. Another yeah. way to think of it is the piston reaches its maximum height with a higher octane versus right. it trying to combust sooner, which what causes the knock. That's right. your piston being hit before it reaches its full height right Matt were you saying something uh no you guys hit it um in okay. in general fuels with higher combustion temperatures regardless of engine type are going to provide more energy per reaction than a fuel with the burning at a lower temperature you right. just get more energy out of it so that that's where you get the the higher horsepower ratings as well right Right. Yeah. And so uh, so I'm sure this is relevant in like rocket fuel and it's certainly relevant in race cars, you know, those types of things. I'm sure octane of, of the fuel matters greatly. But if you're listening to our podcast, you're probably not in the NASCAR circuit and there's a good likelihood you're also not launching a rocket, though. We do have those podcasts as well. Wow, way to shame the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, just say the likelihood. I'm not saying that but, we don't have an above average uh, listener base. I'm just saying the percentage. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. 
Listeners, please comment if you feel that you're an above average or below average person (laughs) with us. And uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, but what does it mean for day to day? Like I'm driving my my. Are you going to put in your 85, your 87, or your 91 octane? Right, and, and yeah, I've got some, you know, 2005 vehicle that's got uh, 200,000 miles on it. Does it matter if I'm putting 93 octane in versus 87 or so, you know something like that? Um, and the short of it is, no, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, the difference in fuel economy at, at freeway speeds, from what I, my research here, is marginal at best. We're talking like if you get like 27 miles per gallon uh, at freeway speeds with your 87 octane um that's that's the low stuff right? that's the cheap stuff and and then you want to go to like yeah. the premium stuff you're going to go from like 27 miles per gallon to maybe if you're lucky 27 and a half miles per gallon um and when the pr- price uh, difference is usually like 30 or 40 cents per gallon um or more that that doesn't compute the the numbers don't work out there it's not it's not worth your money to get the higher octane stuff um if you're once again just driving your car around the 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 road uh it will give you slightly better horsepower but most of us aren't flooring it going from zero to 60 um those types of things uh so if once of us if you're just worried about fuel economy there's no point in getting higher octane um gas now Now, once again go ahead yeah i was going to say now if you're worried about engine life and you know amount of thank you plaque that's going to build up for lack of a better term um from the lower octane you might want to go a higher octane because it burns hotter and burns cleaner um, yeah, also so- most cars have a preferred octane rating in your owner's manual yeah actually it's usually um also just right there on your gas cap as you open the fuel door, there's often a sticker inside that says fill with some sort of gasoline octane rating only. And that's the yeah. manufacturer recommendation. Now, um, you know, you, you talk about engine life and um, basically when you when you have your piston moving around, if it is if your fuel is combusting before the piston reaches its maximum point, I mean, Cameron, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, there is going to be a mechanical strain that is greater on that piston and on its uh, mechanic, well, on its mechanics, on its linkages, than there would be if the piston was at its optimum position. And so you have a higher octane fuel that is combusting later because it has to reach that higher temperature. Your piston gets to that optimal position if it's designed correctly. And your engine doesn't see that same mechanical strain every time it fires. And over tens of millions of cycles, that can add up to reduced or extended engine life, depending on what you're doing. Now, in Carl's scenario, where for some reason he's still driving a car manufactured in 2005, um, it probably doesn't matter. The thing has endured for this many years, and it will can be expected to continue to endure because it's probably immortal at this point. But if you have a new car and you want it to last longer, then going with the manufacturer's recommended octane rating may be a good idea. Unless you're planning on trading it out in two years and uh, you just want to enjoy it while you've got it and get the most out of it without paying the most for it, then by all means, burn it up and then sell it. There you go. 
That's uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But if you're buying a new car, maybe we should also talk about you actually need to let your cars warm up for about the first five thousand miles when you're driving it. Uh, like, we, yeah, we'll, we should we'll get to that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, once again, you can, if there's a recommendation or even a requirement of of your car that says you know get I mean requires premium gas or whatever, then probably go with it because you probably paid an amount of that for that car that that is worth spending the extra uh, on gas in order to keep the, that car live uh, alive longer and performing well longer. Um, uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. No, that reminds me. It's. Um... I don't know if anybody, uh, if you guys watched uh, Ford versus Ferrari at all, you can let me know if you did or I not. Did. You did. Um, uh, it's when the mechanic was talking to the guy and said, you're not driving that like a sports car. Like you're not getting it to the, the right RPMs before you're shifting what actually caused that car problems. So it's kind of the same thing. If you bought a performance car that's for racing and speed, you're probably going to have a higher octane rating that you're going to be using because it's designed to go to do those things. Right. And I, and, and for the sake of, uh, being environmentally friendly as well, I believe higher octane gas decreases the emissions of the car. This is once again, my understanding. I, I, I don't know, but I could Google it <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, so once again, I think the vast majority of people out there are driving a car that is more of a mode of transportation than it is a, uh, you know, a performance vehicle. Uh, and they are more, far more interested in doing so on a budget. Um, so then Ricky Bobby in the live comments says, fight me. <laughs> Wait, who said that? <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think we have a lot of high rolling listeners, uh, but if we do, we need to tap into that. Um, so, guys, we're going to need to, you know, start uh, finding ways to eke some money out of our listeners. Anyway, um, but the reality is most people are driving cars around and need to do so on a budget and don't have extra money to sink into it. And it turns out for most vehicles driving on your um you you just your regular gas is not going to cause any problems um so do look into your your specific model of car if you are uh and then if you're looking to buy a new one look into that as well see does this how is this going to perform on regular gas versus premium so okay moving on now to tires um, uh, that was a good segue because i was going to say one of the things that actually affects your your how many miles you get to the gallon is your tire pressure whether yeah, it's inflated or underflated. So that, yeah. that is for sure true. Um, all right. So let's, yeah, let's talk a little bit about tires first. Um, uh, tires can be, I mean, the range in tire cost is significant, uh, either, you know, per vehicle and even with a specific vehicle from the low end all the way to the top end, easily you can double how much you spend on tires if you go for a top end tire. So, um, what kind of tires do you uh, guys use on your vehicles, Matt and Cameron? And what do you recommend? What what some experiences you've had with buying tires, good or bad? 
I am not the person to ask because I consistently have poor results with tires. Um, lately, that could be your have, driving. Well, shut up. No, it can't. <laughs> um, lately, we have started to not buy the bottom-of-the-line cheap tire. And shockingly enough, our tires have actually lasted longer. Weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. There, yeah, there is uh, very much uh, you get what you pay for here. You definitely can get cheap tires that will perform adequately for a period of time. Um, right. One of the things that I found early on, um, and, and I was kind of dense that I didn't realize this beforehand, tires come with a warranty, right? You know, so however many thousand miles, 40,000, 50, 60, 70,000 sometimes. Right. Well, it turns out that if your tire wears out before you hit that 40,000 mile mark, they don't just replace your tire free, they prorate it, meaning that they give you the value of the tire as a fraction of how much ground you actually covered. So if you drive 30,000 miles and your tires are shot, they give you one quarter of the value of your tire. Uh, you know, 30,000 being three quarters of 40,000. So, you know, be be aware that that is how tire warranties work. A, a very quick and dirty look at the quality of the tire could be the length of the, the, the physical distance of the warranty that goes with it. A tire warrantied to 70,000 miles is probably a pretty decent tire and is going to last longer and better than a tire warrantied to 40,000 miles. Fully agree, and that's that is important to recognize. And once again, uh, this is one of those scenarios where if you have, uh, if you're only worried about the money that you have right now, um, sometimes you make the, the the bad decision for long term, you know, price. So you know, because forty thousand uh, mile tires are going to be cheaper than seventy five thousand mile t- tires. Except that if you look at the prices and, and think about the relationship between miles and price, uh, it turns out the 75,000-mile tire might be cheaper over the long run. So, um, you know, that's uh, I believe that's something I've invested a little bit more in, in my life. But now, the other consideration um, is where do you live? Um, because if you live somewhere where it snows a lot, you're going to need better quality tires if somewhere where it rains a lot you know you can't you can't afford to hit the brakes and have your tires skid or you know or to um so you need to buy higher quality uh, all terrain or not all terrain all weather you know tires versus some tires that are just made for southern california where i live where we rain it, it rains like one month a year and then and then not again until the next february so uh you know our tires are not that important um other than obviously just the mileage um but you know cameron lives where it snows uh cameron what do you what do you do for tires um well what i do is i buy an all-season tire it's usually about a 50 to sixty thousand mile warranty i know it's a little bit on the cheaper side but don't have a lot of money always to spend on my tires That's- Yep. 
<laughs> that's pretty frequent. That's a scenario a lot of people are in. Uh, so, because uh, uh, for my car, an average tire I think is about 120 bucks, um, maybe a little bit more. Um, then it just kind of depends on the, the place that I go. Sometimes I'll go to a place where it's a little bit more. I'm spending maybe 150 dollars if I go to like Pep Boys. But then if you buy a set of tires, you get the fourth one for free. So evens out a little bit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, looking, there are fees usually also uh, in regards to getting a tire change at a particular place. So just get a full quote when you're going to go get it. And and it's also worth um, looking into, you know, do I need two two tires? Do I need four tires? Um, mm -hmm. So, Cameron, that's something you brought up before our podcast here. What? Uh... Oh yeah. Um, if you have a vehicle with an all-wheel drive, um, it's highly recommended. You don't have to, but it is highly recommended that you change out all four tires because of the way the driving system works on those cars. It actually hurts the car if you don't. So, um, if you have like an all-wheel drive car, it tends to be a little bit more expensive, but also generally. Tire manufacturers understand that if you have that type of car, they sell them a little bit cheaper. They sell them cheaper because when you have one thing that goes wrong, you have to replace all four. So it's not as big as a hit. Maybe it's like a hundred dollars cheaper or something sure. like that. But yeah, yeah. So so front wheel drive cars, I believe it's usually the front tires that usually go out. They're the ones that are getting. You know, when you hit the accelerator, those are the ones that are getting pulled uh, um, violently. So, um, well, there, there's some other factors, and we should yeah. talk about alignment too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. But, yeah, yeah but to, to what Cameron was saying, the reason that you want to change all four tires on a four-wheel drive, and the reason that you want to change both drive tires on a two-wheel drive, is because if if you consider the way that the forces in your car run from engine through axles to the tire, uh, every, every point in there, there's some kind of load. And in your engine, it starts with your high octane burst of flame and fire moving that piston. And it ends with your tire on the pavement and the friction load between the tire and the pavement. Now, if your tires are worn out unevenly and one tire has better grip than the other tire, well, you're going to get a different friction load on one side versus the other side, and that will translate to an unbalanced load throughout the entire drivetrain. That's why it's so important to change both tires at the same time so that you avoid those unbalanced loads and the stresses that they put on your car and the safety hazard that it is when your car is trying to apply a force that should be equal and it ends up not being equal because the tires are not gripping the same because one of them is old and the other is not. And it, and that extends to all four tires in the four-wheel drive, as Cameron said. All-wheel yeah. drive. All-wheel yeah, drive. Not four-wheel drive. That's separate time. Right. Yeah, well, like Matt was just saying, also, the, the alignment of your car matters. Um, if your cars are, if your your wheels are misaligned, uh, they're going to cause une uneven wear on your tires, and they're going to going to need to replace them prematurely because there'll be different wear patterns on your tires. Yeah, uh, that's actually one um, 
that you know in addition to changing your tires highly highly recommend anytime you get a tire change and once a year after that get a four-wheel alignment uh and what what the alignment does is it just makes sure that the tires are in correct parallel planes with each other and perpendicular to the ground if if you can imagine looking at your tire head on it should be perfectly straight up and down right well what if it was tilted wobbled to the right or the left um what if it was skewed outward so that it was towed out or towed in well, what that translates to is essentially well it's uneven wear patterns if you can imagine your tires being towed out away from each other while you drive they'll still move forward but what you're also doing is effectively dragging your tire horizontally down the road that will very quickly erode it so anytime you do an alignment you're buying not only uh, a little bit of extra safety but you are going to vastly uh enhance the life of your tire versus having it unaligned yeah and now my understanding is that um so i have a friend who does lots of do-it-yourself projects on his car and has also helped me a lot with my car. He's uh, the reason I have any understanding of my car beyond put the key in the ignition uh, and turn it. <laughs> um, and so uh, he was helping me a little while ago with um, with uh, an issue with um, my um, control arms of my vehicle. Um, uh-huh. Anyway... Yeah, yeah, he does a lot of different things. Anyway, but he was saying, look, if we replace the control arms, and those are the things that actually connect your uh, tire to your axle, um, he said, uh, then you're going to need an alignment. And he said, do it yourself. Alignments are not usually good. He said, take those in, get an alignment at the shop. He's like, it's worth it. He's like, I never try to align my tires myself. It just doesn't usually go well because it's hard. Um, and they have special tools for it at the shop that, that you don't generally have at home. He said you can do a string alignment in your garage where you where you get a string and you and and, and you can look it up on YouTube. You and measure it, it, yeah. But yeah, you, you this, take it this to the shop. Is a very they have bad a, idea. Don't do it. They right. have a well, that's essentially what that aligns saying. it. Yeah, they have a computer that you pull up and it will tell you exactly. Right. Exactly. And They've your, got specialized tools and everything like that. So. And, and when you are doing an alignment, you're looking at you know three separate planes of alignment here where fractions of degrees can make significant differences in the wear on your tire things that you're not really going to be able to measure with standard analog tools or string you do need computer controlled instruments that a professional garage is going to have so yeah definitely take your car in for alignment yeah, so that's one that's worth worth investing the money in, and, and not worth trying to do it yourself. Uh, so unless you happen to be a mechanic that works in a shop, and you can just use your own tools to fix your own car. <laughs> yeah, well, even then, you'd be using your shop's tools. I don't well, think the mechanic is going to do an alignment at his house. That's probably true. It, it's an expensive tool. It's not cheap. Um, your your balancer is a little bit cheaper, and that's a fun one to to use. I've I've used that a couple a bunch. So that basically that just shows you the wobble on the tire, and that's why they put uh, little lead things on either side of the tire so it balances out, hmm, so it drives straight. So yeah, they 
they put it on a machine. It rotates the tire, um, kicks it up, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 miles per hour, and then it judges the wobble, and that's it will tell you how much weight to put on either side to even it out. Interesting. So, yeah, it's really easy. Um, even if your tire is completely balanced, they take off all the, uh, the weights when they do it. Even if it's completely balanced with no weight, they still put weight on it because um, it helps prevent a wobble from happening. A little bit of weight on both sides. Okay, cool. That is something I did not know. Um, all right, well, let's move on now to brake pads and, and rotors. So these are, once again, things that you'll probably run into as a, a layman. Uh, your brakes start squeaking or they start um, kind of becoming uneven when you press press down. You, you feel your car kind of shake a little bit when you're coming to a stop. Um, those are issues with either your pads, or your brake your brake rotors. Or your um, calipers. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Cameron, I know that uh, once that school, that, that high school class that you took, um, you had to do some brake pads, right? What's involved in replacing brake pads? How easy is that? Um, what, what do brake pads look like? Well, if you have disc brakes versus drum brakes, one is way easier than the other. So which, which one's which? Discs are much easier than drums to okay. replace. Um, just so you know, um, all rear, all front wheel drive vehicles that have disc brakes in the rear also have a drum brake for the um, parking brake. It's just a really small drum that they created for that. Um, so um, for drum brakes, you need a special tool and there's a bunch of different, basically springs and how it works. And unless you've done it a bunch of times, um, it's really hard to change. Disc brakes, on the other hand, are way easier. Um, it's like the brakes on a bike. Basically two pads push against the rotor or the wheel in a bike and that slows it down which is really easy to change out because you just take the wheel off um, and then you can pop out the pads uh, detach the the unit the pressers at both sides um, off the car uh, it's going to have brake fluid in it but you can just take a c-clamp put it in there and slowly turn it and it will depress the cylinder that's pushing on the pads and put it in your new pads. Um, if the rotor looks good, just put it over the new rotor. If you need a new one, put a new rotor on. Uh, you're gonna wanna scratch the new rotor uh, so it doesn't glass up because um, if it gets too hot before it has little scratches on it, it can actually turn to glass and then you don't break. Right. Now, I, so my friend did this for my, my me, and I was there helping, well, I was there watching mostly recently, so I saw him put new brake pads and new rotors on my car, so the, some of the rotors you can buy have holes, essentially, holes in the metal, so that that doesn't, so it, essentially, they don't yeah. heat up as much. They don't heat up as much, yeah. I so, mean, it's pretty easy uh, for you to do it yourself. I really don't think it's that hard. Um, if once you've watched YouTube, if you're good at watching and then doing, um, it's pretty easy and it's way cheaper to do yourself versus to take it to the mechanic. If you're looking at costs, I 
I find it way easier to do as long yeah. as you have the tools. Right. Now the tools are what it comes down to. Sometimes you'll need like some, uh, some uh, a deep socket wrench, things like that, right? Uh, or no, not. just basic tire wrench to take off the. Uh... Come to think of it, what I'm I'm thinking of when I when my friend helped me, we were all he was also replacing the shocks on my vehicle, and that's when we needed uh, other tools. So you need another tool, and then you have to have a shock um, containment thing, which is really scary. Uh, that loads the shock, you mean? Yeah, because you have to compress the shock to and then you take out the thing, and if that thing goes, it's, you got problems. Well, yeah, yeah. that's the, a really scary, dangerous thing to do. So the, unless the you shock, have the, the right that, tools, do not replace your shocks. Yeah, yeah. It turns out we bought shocks that were already loaded, so you literally just, it was just package. You you take the 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 packet, the ones that are in out and put the new ones in and you don't have to load the shock it's already loaded everything it's really quite it wasn't oh. it wasn't that hard okay. um, anyway I, the ones that i did there was we we had to take it out we had to screw down the shock sure. then take right. the bolts out pull out the piston and then put the new one in and yeah that's, that's a lot harder that's it's a scary thing because if you don't put that thing in just right the i can't remember how much pressure that you have to it, it's an extreme it's amount lot. yeah yeah yeah, shocks are not something we're going to recommend you do it yourself. My friend had done shocks before, and like I said, we weren't even dealing with shocks that, um, that Cameron said you have to like do piece by piece because those are scary. This was just a here's a new shock. Put the whole new like literally just a couple of extra bolts uh, that we had to, to take off and put back on, and it was it was really not a huge deal though. I wouldn't have done it without him anyway. Um, anyway. Back to brake pads and rotors, like Cameron said, it's really not that bad. I I hesitate to say I would have done it myself without my friend who'd done it a lot of times um, and, and had the know-how, but it is something, having seen him do it, I'd be potentially willing to do myself. Because like Cameron said, if you have a bike and you see how bike brakes work, it's a very similar idea with, um, and so, um, well, now that people have listened to the description on a podcast, they should definitely be able to handle it. <laughs> like I said, well, watch a YouTube, YouTube video. Exactly. Um, it's not really not that bad. Um, the thing that you have to be the most careful is, is when you're pushing the piston back. Because if you do it too fast, you'll shoot the brake fluid back into your, um, that holds the brake fluid, and then it'll get all over your roof of your car and on your engine and stuff like that and create a mess. So that's that's the biggest problem. So yeah. just do it slowly. So once again, if you do not want to do it yourself, if you just want new brake pads in general, uh, brake pads usually have uh, some metal built in at where they, as they wear down, they start squealing or squeaking um, when they are, are worn down enough uh, that they need to be replaced. Um, and so that's when you know you need new brake pads. Uh, if you're not sure, obviously, you should be able to take it in the mechanic, and they should be able to tell you how much grip is left on your brakes. Uh, once again, that's a real easy thing. to. If you pop the tire off, you can see it right away. you can be like, oh, yeah, that's actually got a lot of meat left on it. Um, and so they can tell you, like, oh, yeah, you've got, like, 40% of your brakes left or whatever. Um, now, if you, when you're braking and, and it feels uneven, if there's some jerkiness when you brake, that's probably your rotor, uh, in which case your rotors are not, not, even they're not uh they've, they've got some bumps to them or something like that in which case you might need a new rotor which should help uh so that you're not um 
shaking when you when you stop. Or if um, you want to go to like an auto pop shop store, if you have two cars or something like that, some uh, auto pop shop stores, I think like um, uh, I can't think of the name, but one of them will actually turn your rotors for you for free. Um, it doesn't take very long and that will uh, bring it back to new. Just okay. So you know. Um, yeah, and your average brake pad, I just Googled it, um, says between 25 to 65, but the average is about 40,000 if you go to the mean for that. So, okay. So, and if people want to, I know that you get stuff put on your car and you're like, I don't remember the mileage that it was at when I got it put on. So how am I supposed to remember at 40,000 miles? Like, uh, generally, people put between 10 and 15,000 miles on their cars yearly. Now, you might be well above the average or, or below the average, but figuring out what you do yearly might help you be able to put into perspective, like, okay, I'm going to need these replaced in three years or something like that. Um, also, if you have a new, you have the manual to your car, most manuals have um, in the back of the book uh, when you do maintenance. So you can actually write it down and be like, I changed it at this time, okay. this state and this many miles. So. Yeah, that, that would be really useful. And like I said, the, so when you get an oil change, people, you know, the, the, the shop will put a sticker on your window that says replace it at this mileage, those types of things. You can do that yourself if you are uh, thoughtful like that. Um, okay, let's move on to the last thing here before we wrap up. And... Um, Okay, two two other things I wanted to touch on before we finish up. So first one, we've been talking about this a lot, but mechanic versus do-it-yourself um, is something that is a there's a lot that goes into this. It's a comp complicated calculus as far as the like, do I have the time? Do I have the money? Uh, do I have the confidence in my ability? Like Matt said to begin with, do I have this? Do I would I get a sense of fulfillment by doing it myself, figuring it out myself? Versus I need this vehicle. I need it to not break on me. I need it for a long time, so I'm going to take it into a shop. Um, now, a big part of this calculation, though, is uh, is who's the mechanic you're going to, what is the trust level, what is the uh, you know are are you being are you getting a good deal? Are they rec recommending a lot of things that don't actually need to be done? Now, how do you guys find Cameron and Matt mechanics that you trust? um it that that is a great question google and and things like that are are a decent start but even asking a person you trust who they trust that can be a way to to get started um we, we recently moved and when we were when we came into our new area uh we were at a different store just getting basic supplies. And I just asked the cashier, hey, we just moved here. Can you recommend a mechanic? And he said, yes, it's uh, at the store right nearby. I said, great. And that is literally what I went with. Um, I did look them up. They seemed to have good reviews and we took our car there. And yeah, I was pretty satisfied with the service. But, you know, I, I feel like I looked into that one. Um, that said, you know, ask people, just ask around. Who do you trust? Yeah, um, that's that's great. Um, other things, uh, like if you just going kind of back to 
the tire thing, uh, like if you go to Big O, they're known for tires, but they also do other things like that. Um, think about, is it a national chain, something like that, wherever you go, are you going to be able to, they'll accept the warranty from your mechanic from the other place, stuff like that. Um, it's a good kind of thing to also think about. So if you get something done on your car and then it breaks in a different state, if you can go to that same place, they're going to honor the warranty, whatever they did on the, the car for you. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I, I second what Matt said also with asking for, uh, recommendations. Um, I do think it's important and now this probably isn't as much the case for oil changes or, or little, fi- you know, um, fixes here and there but anytime they start recommending more expensive fixes even if you've been to them a few times before it's probably worth your time to get a second opinion um you can look at a mechanic kind of like a doctor (laughs) um it doesn't mean that you don't think that they're right but uh it's sometimes useful especially as a layman as someone that wouldn't necessarily know whether or not you need a new rack and pinion um, to say, okay, um, I'm going to go check over here too. <laughs> and maybe you don't even tell them that if you, if you don't feel comfortable, you say, like, okay, well, I'll bring it back tomorrow if I, if I decide that I want that service. And then you run it to the place across the street or, or down the road or whatever. And you say, okay, guys, I've been recommended to have this done, um, or, or I have this issue and let them diagnose it themselves and see if they come up with the same diagnosis. Uh, because if you're going to be burying Sorry, a couple sorry. thousand dollars. Yeah, if you're going to be bearing like two thousand dollars or whatever into the car maintenance, or you know, fifteen hundred or whatever it might be, uh, and you're going based on on this one guy or girl or what, whoever it is that you've known, like you've had three interactions with in your life, and they just told you, oh yeah, it's going to be fifteen hundred dollars to fix your car. Like, okay, well that's a lot of trust to have. Um, so might as well take an extra, you know, two hours out of your life and say, okay, I'd like this person that I don't know to also independently verify that I knew I need a new rack and pinion. I need a new, new control arms. Um, because maybe, maybe I do kind of need those things. I don't think that most mechanics are out there lying, but I do think often they look at something and they think, oh yeah, he could replace that. Well, he could replace that and he needs to replace that are sometimes different. And if you're on a budget and you don't have $1,500, you need to know the difference. You need to know like, okay, is this a could nice to have type of like sometime in the next year? Or is this a, you need to do this now because otherwise you're going to have you know issues, safety issues even. Um, and that's what the second opinion is going to give you is that, that surety that um, like, oh yeah, like I actually do need that. Um, and so, you know, even if it's if you're, if you're trying to save money, a second opinion could give you a different price. But even if you're pretty happy with the mechanic and, and you're okay spending maybe an extra hundred bucks or whatever because you know that you like their work, um, still go, go that get that second opinion to make sure that they're telling you what you what you believe that you need. Like if, if you want to fix all the nice to haves on your car and you have that disposable income, maybe you just go with it. But most people, that's not necessarily the case. And you need to know the difference between I need to have this versus I could have this done. Um, Cause cars are always going to wear down over time and all these parts could be replaced, but what you need to replace is, is sometimes different than what the, the recommendation that you might get from the mechanic, which, um, and once again, they're, they're their financial incentive is to tell you what you could fix because sure it could be fixed uh but does it need to be fixed how urgently does it need to be fixed 
those are questions for your wallet. <laughs> um, and so uh, you want to do things that are safe, that make sense for your car. But that's once again why you go take it to another mechanic, give them uh, the opportunity to tell you the same thing. And then you're like, OK, then that then I need to make uh, make the time and make the money money for, for that fix. That investment. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I do it, because uh, I had a mechanic that I said the words rack and pinion a couple of times. I had a mechanic uh, that I've been going to for a little while. We thought they were pretty good, but then they started recommending all these expensive fixes. And they, in fact, uh, they have recommended a $2,000 fix to a car that I think is worth about $2,000. And I was like, I don't think that's something I need to do. But they told me that a couple of times. They're like, you need to have this done. So I took it to my friend who wouldn't, he wasn't comfortable doing that. A rack and pinion is, is like a full uh, drivetrain type of, or uh, issue yeah. um and he's like i'm not gonna do that but he's like i can at least look at it and tell you what i think and he's like um there's absolutely no way you need that done he said what they're talking about are these two boots at the end that connect your tire rod to your control arms he's like you can fix those for 50 dollars and he's like i can do that fix because you don't actually need to det in, uh, uh, detach anything it's like if we fix those there's nothing else wrong with this and they had recommended two thousand dollars and he fixed it for 50. So um, that's like a scenario where you're like, okay, uh, they, they lost my trust there. I, w I went back to one other time. They recommended another $1,500 fix for what my, I went back to my other friend. And he's like, hey, actually, it's a loose piece of plastic. Give me a zip tie. He zip tied it. It stopped making the noise. And that was that. Um, so go take that get that second opinion it's worthwhile it's um get, find a mechanic that you can trust generally but if you start going for expensive fix you know take that extra hour and make sure that it's that fix that you actually need to have mm -hmm. agreed and that's how sometimes you know you know mechanics lose business you know pushing those expensive fixes that don't need to happen so okay last thing before we wrap up matt and cameron um we've got uh, let's say you've got a car Let's say it's old. At what point do you decide, hey, I need a new car? When it no longer runs. <laughs> okay. So everyone has a different philosophy about this. Some people do it based on um, cost, ownership cost, and the expected increase in maintenance costs over the years. Some people do it based on the fact that I want to drive whatever is new. And some people do it based on the fact that buying a new car is hard, and I don't want to do that unless I absolutely have to. That one is me. Uh, and, and so our philosophy is we drive our cars into the ground until they are visibly no longer safe. Um, but I do not recommend everyone do this. This is just our personal look at it. And obviously, if your car is not safe and... Uh, and you can tell, and a qualified professional is telling you that, yeah, don't do this. Uh, don't drive it. Either repair it or replace it. And at some point, you're going to get to the point to where you are going to have a $2,000 repair on a $2,000 car, and then you need to weigh the value options there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, the last two... A, uh, yeah. my, my first car that I had titled in my name we drove until it would no longer start. So nice. it was a Pontiac Grand Prix and it was awesome and I miss <laughs> it. Uh, but I nice. think what finally killed it was the battery cables corroded. And uh, it, I mean, it wouldn't start anymore. And that on top of 
the many other failures of subsystems throughout that car over the years, uh, it finally died after after many years of faithful service. Probably too many years of faithful service. <laughs> right. Captain, uh, I was going to say, uh, the last two times I've gotten new cars, it's because my old car got totaled. So, got totaled um, by you, I believe. Let's no, <laughs> one got totaled by me by a freak accident, and we won't go into that. The other one <laughs> was because a work truck ran into my car. Oh, right. I do remember that. Okay. So, um, and I, I still miss that other car. Not going to lie. Right. Um. I do not recommend that's the reason you go out and shop for a new car, but those happen to be the the reasons why I have gotten new cars the last two times. Um, also, yeah. um, when you're getting a new car, you are the one that's spending the money. Don't let any salesman pressure you or into getting the car if you are not ready or you tell them, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to do today. If they don't listen to you, I recommend just walk out and leave. Who cares? Right. Um, I was with my wife. She had worked with this car for this car company that we went to. And this guy was just trying to sell us on this car that I didn't want to get at that time. I was like, I'm not buying today. I'm just looking. I want to look at a couple other things and would not listen to what I was saying. So I just got up and walked away. And then I was like, no, we're leaving now. And she's like, well, why? We're just being nice. They're going to come back with another offer. And I'm like, no, I don't care. They're not listening to what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm not buying today. So, Yeah, yeah. Cars, car salesmen can be quite pushy. So, yeah, uh, to, to kind of talk about what both of you just said, uh, I have not, well, let's see, I purchased a car four, four years ago, um, but that was because my family grew and I needed a bigger one, so that re- required that. But um, I do think that as you're getting to that point where Matt talked about where like you're like, uh, this might not be safe anymore, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to need a new car really pretty soon, uh, that's when I recommend start start shopping then for a new car, because so, you can... Um, if you go into the dealership or whatever, but I, what I like to do is I start shopping online because then you can also make it like a value pr- proposition. Because if you've been looking for a couple weeks and you see something pop up and you're like, that's what I want. It's a really good deal. I know I, ha- I have a limited amount of time with my current vehicle and this is a good deal for the type of car I want. Then all of a sudden you've made, you know, You've made it like this per- the, the perfect timing because you've been looking at it for a while as opposed to waiting until you have you're in, backed into a corner and or you're at the dealership and they're yelling at you to buy the car and you're like I hate this um, versus like <laughs> taking that pressure off being like okay I've got a I've probably got two months or three months until my car kicks the bucket let's uh, let's spend that time like looking online setting up a search getting updates on it and saying okay like this is my price range this is what I'm looking for. Uh, let's see if I can find something that that pops up that's a good deal that uh, in the next you know month or two and um, if not I'll, yeah I can change my parameters if we start getting closer but um, and that's a way that all of a sudden you can make it a question of, of good buying practices as well. So. Yeah, and that's also when if you do have a good me- mechanic comes into play too. If you're not buying from a dealership, buying from something else, take that car to your mechanic, have them look it all out, you know, have them check it everything really thoroughly because just let them know you're like i'm thinking about buying this car you know just 
want you to look sure. over it really well, and they'll do yeah, that. that is really worth doing, right? I mean, it might cost you, you know, maybe fifty bucks around to check it, but I mean, if that fifty bucks saves you making a big mistake down the road, and some mechanics don't even do that, so right. I mean, they'll yeah. do it for free, not charge you. That's what I mean. Right. But yeah, yeah, they get, fully agree. get it, get it looked at. Yeah. So I look at like when when I'm shopping for cars, I, I sometimes do look at like the classifieds, but I also look at like what car, is it cars.com or what some of those websites where they'll bring up some of those classified offers, but also bring up ones from the dealership because some dealership offers are just are better um, because if you take the consideration that they're going to give you like a warranty or they're going to give you the 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 comfort of knowing like okay this is pro this has been looked over and and stuff like that. Um, it's probably worth uh, worth the time, uh, worth the, a little uh, a little bit of extra money. So, so the the last car that we did buy um, was actually to replace, and and we did buy it slightly before it you know died. Uh, but we were I, I mentioned we moved recently. We moved cross country, and we needed a car that was going to be able to safely make that drive. And we'd been told that the best time to buy a car is right about at the new year because all the dealers are trying to liquidate their stuff and we actually ended up finding our car i think it was through either cars.com or auto trader but it it was one of those dealership deals uh we went over to the dealer checked it out it was by far the best one that we had test driven met all the requirements and we got a pretty good deal on it um so yeah it uh absolutely do the shopping be considerate of uh when the deals are going to be and, and use that time to determine what you want. If we had waited until our our faithful Santa Fe had actually died, we would have been in a much more difficult position trying to replace that car with a move imminent. Right. And that would have been no fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, take your, yeah. your timing into consideration. Yeah. Okay. One last little thing. Um, if you see a car with really low miles and it's really cheap, uh, do a Carfax on it. Um, the last time I was looking for a new car, um, we had a bunch of cars that had been shipped um, and the warranty has been voided on them because they were in floods. So they looked brand new, but the, they were, you know, from one of the flooded things, they shipped them out over here to, to Utah and we're selling them super cheap. But yeah, look at that. Make sure you know what you're getting into, because a lot of those cars had electrical problems and other things like that. Go fig, yeah. you know, when the car gets covered in water, um, has problems. So yeah, so weird. So okay, well, I think that'll take us to the end of this podcast. I hope you guys uh, have. Uh, had things put in a new perspective for you, giving you some uh, some things to think about with your current situation, giving you some insights. Um, so uh, come back and listen to us again next uh, next uh, podcast. We'll see you then. Bye.